Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Tonight, the King 5 investigators show us the incredible change that can happen to a child with disabilities with one simple adjustment in their education, giving them a seat in the classroom with other kids in school. Tell me if you've heard this one before. Uh, a student with Down syndrome or autism is educated for the vast majority of their day in a segregated special education classroom. In 2018, King 5 News in Washington State conducted an investigation which they called Back of the Class. The series exposed the reasons why Washington State lags behind much of the country in serving students with disabilities. Here's Susanna Frame from King 5 News. Many kids with disabilities in Washington spend a majority of their days separated from the typical learners in school, even though state and federal law states they have the civil right to be included as much as possible. So check out the changes for one student when his new school said, yes, you have a seat in the class with everybody else. The new experience for Sam began this school year on day one of high school as a freshman at Decatur in Federal Way. For the first time in three years, school administrators allowed him to learn alongside his non-disabled peers, like in this music class. He also took general education pottery and a leadership class. And garden. Garden. Did you make that? Yeah. Where fellow students helped Sam with projects like this one, then signed their names and words of encouragement. Big hug. There we go. And now we're starting to see that um, the old Sam kind of reemerge and be more confident and silly and, you know, social. And so it's such a blessing to see that again, because by the third year of middle school, we were feeling pretty despondent about things. For three years at Taffet Saholi Middle School, Sam spent every day, all day, in a segregated classroom. Even at lunch, he sat separately. None of the other kids even knew his name. It breaks my heart that there are kids in his school who may not understand, that don't understand what Down syndrome is, that may be afraid of it. Last year, Sam's mom, Sandy, described those isolating middle school years where the family watched him become withdrawn, not wanting to go to school, 
and not making much academic progress. And I think it's just wrong on so many levels, not just for Sam, but for you know the other kids in the school. It's it's an opportunity lost. <laughs> you, we can't get this through these three years back. Like Sam. Thousands of children in Washington State are shut out of regular classrooms. Our investigation found only 54% of our kids with disabilities spend a majority of their day in general ed, and for students with intellectual disabilities like Down syndrome and autism, that number's down to 5%. Only two states in the country, Nevada and Illinois, have a number worse than that. Outcomes for kids with disabilities are not better when they're in segregated classrooms. Dr. Eileen Schwartz is a special education expert at the University of Washington. And what the research tells us is that children with disabilities do better when they're in inclusive classrooms, and children without disabilities do as well. School records show Sam did do better. All right. With noticeable improvements in math, reading, and social skills. What we're seeing now in just the first year of high school shows so much promise, and I think you know it can only go up from here. This video taken in middle school last year shows just how much Sam was left out attending his first ever school dance. While Sam was surrounded by kids, he was actually alone. No one spoke to him. No one came and said, hi, Sam. No one danced with him. No one took a selfie with him. He was aware. He was aware that there were no kids around him. Compare that to this year's high school band concert, where Sam, alongside general education musicians, opens up the show. Listen to what happens at the end of the song. It's the sound of inclusion, of kids knowing a fellow student who happens to have a disability. They were fully, fully 110% supporting him with what he was doing up there in that performance. And he knew that. You could see it on his face. I got really choked up and thought, this is amazing, this is for Sam. It was just really, Amazing to see them recognize Sam that way. I don't know if you could tell, but the kids were yelling, Sam, Sam, and it's such a great moment. And the parents absolutely loved it. We're so glad they got it on videotape. As for the Federal Way School District, they wouldn't tell us why Sam was completely segregated his entire middle school career or why now he's able to participate in general education classes. And they also wouldn't let us inside Decatur High School. So what Sam's family, teachers, and classmates realized when he was included with his typical peers was that he was more than capable of learning, growing, and making an impact in the classroom. What is tragic about this situation is that it took a news investigation for Sam's family to get any traction to have Sam be included. Today on the podcast, we interviewed Dr. Julie Costin, a former professor at Syracuse University who has devoted her career and research to giving families practical strategies to include their children with disabilities in general education classrooms with their typically developing peers. Julie shares with us six strategies that you can use immediately to advocate for inclusive education for your child or student. My name is Tim Viegas. After a short break, our interview with Dr. Julie Costin. Also, a special thanks 
to Susanna Frame from King 5 News in Washington State for giving us permission to rebroadcast this story. Hi, this is Julie Costin, and you are listening to Think Inclusive Podcast. Julie, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the field of inclusive education? I guess I'll start backwards. I used to be an educator, a special education teacher, and I taught elementary, middle, and high school and um, at different times. And I was always working with a caseload of students, um, mostly students with the most significant disabilities. Um, and I always worked with students in inclusive settings. So even if they were in separate settings, I would figure out how to get them included. And I became an inclusion facilitator for a district. Um, and then I got my master's and doctorate in special education because I was, I guess, fascinated, but probably more like on fire about the concept of inclusion and realizing um, that we've got a lot of work to do in that particular area. And then I taught at the Syracuse University for 14 years. And there I ran the, this program for elementary folks. So they were all teachers who were getting dual licensure in special and general education. Um, and now I run Inclusive Schooling. And Inclusive Schooling is a company that I started with my friend Kate McLeod, who is a doctoral student, and now she's a professor. Um, and the two of us really work in schools all over the country and Canada and now the world. We've been doing, you know, out of out of this area work a lot. Um, and we're basically helping schools to become inclusive. And what that looks like is lots of different things, but often we do equity audits in schools where we look to see who has access and who doesn't to what things. And then we do a lot of professional development to help schools restructure become inclusive. Um, so that's the majority of my work. In order for inclusive schools to become a reality, do you see this teacher credentialing where there's dual licensure as the future of education? I do. I feel like the lines between general and special education have been for too long made like cement concrete, you know, lines, meaning, you know, I've got this licensure and you've got that licensure and and I teach these kind of kids and you teach those kind of kids. And all of us in, in education know very well that those lines are blurry and that all learners have strengths, gifts, and talents. And so in, you know, I guess you're jumping to the future of special education. And my dreams would be that those lines wouldn't exist. And we would instead, uh, everyone would understand that we are all diverse learners needing different things. Some of us needing more support for sure. Um, but it would be an absolute convergence of the two ideas of both general and special education. What do you think it would take to get movement on dual licensure for all teachers? Oh, it'll take all the stakeholders everywhere, meaning parents, administrators, uh, teachers, paraprofessionals, all school personnel, everybody to sort of come to that realization Here's the problem, Tim, as you know, we're really stuck in this system. We believe 
we believe in this system. We believe it to be true. You know, that if a student has an IEP, they're, they're so unique as a learner that, you know, me with only a general ed licensure could never teach this kid or vice versa. And um, there's a, there's a paradigm shift that's going to be needed that I'm not really sure. I know who needs to really make those shifts, but I'm not really sure how to get folks to understand that, you know, special education is really good general education. Um, and special education is access to general education. And so when we stop thinking about it as a place and start thinking about it as portable services, we really can do a lot to create a more equitable system. What are some practical strategies for families who have children with, you know, uh, Down syndrome, autism, or an intellectual disability and are not in an inclusive school system right now, but want their child to be included in a classroom uh, with their typical peers? Great question. So um, I work with a lot of families who are in that particular situation, and they are in varying levels and spaces and places in that in that journey. Um, I guess what I would start, I, I can give um, some pointers, and I would start with having a clear vision. So making sure you are really clear on what you want, um, making sure that your vision is, you know, crystal clear, this is what we want, this is why, and have it in writing and share it at your child's IEPs. Um, as parents know, the IEP process is the place where they have the most power at that, at that table. Even if it doesn't feel like it, that's the place where you can state the things that you want to state. Um, so starting with a really clear vision, involving your students in that vision. So I work with lots of families who put together a little video or put together a little uh, handout to say, this is, you know, these are my dreams. So whether I'm just thinking of a student I was recently working with with Down syndrome who really wants to attend college. And although we're thinking about a third grade IEP, it's really important for the team to understand this is where we're headed. Um, because that really helps us make decisions about the kinds of classes and the kinds of supports the student needs. So I have an online class for parents um, called uh, Inspire Inclusion. And on there, I give kind of a template, and I call it a manifesto. But here's the truth. You could do it any different way you want to. I have an example of one right here. Um, so this says, our ultimate vision for Andrea is that she is educated alongside her general education peers for the entire school day. We want her to be included in every aspect of schooling. This means she is with her peers for lunch, recess, and special area classes, but more importantly, with them in all academic subjects with appropriate supports. We want her support services to be brought directly to her and delivered seamlessly in her general education class. We view Andrea as an important member of her school. Therefore, we want her to be engaged as an integral part of the classroom and her school community at every turn. So that's an example of a manifesto that people have written, parents have written, um, Andrea has Down syndrome. And that really helped guide the process because it wasn't like we were coming with first the, the school's vision of what, what was possible for Andrea, but instead the family's vision of what they want for Andrea. The second thing is really learning what's happening currently. So making sure that you have a really good sense of what the day looks like. Because too often, um, and Tim, you might have seen this in your own experiences, um, what's written on paper doesn't re does not resemble what happens in real life. 
And so I think it's really important to learn exactly what's happening with your child's placement now. Um, the third big idea is to work with the team. And so this is really, really interesting because I work with families that have varying um, connections to their team. And sometimes I would say they're almost not speaking. And in other times they're really closely connected and working together kind of flawlessly. And um, my goal for families is they, that they stay as collaborative as possible for as long as possible so that they can get their students kind of what they need. And I also give that same advice to, to educators and professionals. Fantastic. Um, what would uh, be your next big idea? So after that, I would move on to knowing the law. So getting really clear with what, is, what are your legal rights. And the things that I would bulk up on are um, things like understanding what least restrictive environment means and states. Um, also understanding what the Ronker portability test is. And the Ronker portability test is a test um, that suggests that if a service is portable, it should be brought to the student instead of bringing the student to the service. Um, and so that's a really important piece is knowing that piece of the law around comportability test. Um, and then knowing all the case law around inclusive education. Um, so whether it's Oberti or, um, I've got a long list. Actually, there's an article that I've written called Achieving Inclusion, What Every Parent Should Know. And I've got a whole chart in the back about all the different laws and litigation that you should know and be familiar with. Um, so like Brown versus Board of Education and Park versus Pennsylvania. Ronker versus Walter is the Ronker portability test. Um, Daniel R.R. and Sacramento Unified and Raffaello Berti, those are the ones that I'd kind of know what they are about. So that, you know, when you're advocating for your child to be included, you kind of know where to point in terms of which pieces of the law might be, you know, in question. Um, and the next step would be plan an inclusive IEP. So uh, obviously the discussions are all happening at the table. So you want to make sure that you stay focused on placement when you get to that time. And what I mean by that is, you know, obviously there are going to be places where you might give a little here or there. But for me, placement is a, is a decision that I feel like is worth going to the mat for. Um, because we well know that when students are put in a segregated setting or space, they remain in that segregated setting or space, um, just statistically speaking. And so we want to make sure that's the point where families say, no, I really want my child to stay in general education. And then I've got lots of ideas for writing inclusive oriented goals. Um, so making sure that the goals that are written actually involve general education peers um, so that educators, like by default, really write goals that happen in general education um, and they write lesson plans that happen in general education like that a student writes um, writes words that are legible to a peer or that a student um, is able to you know use language that is discernible by a peer and so as you can see by putting the peer in that in that goal we're asking that it be carried out in a general ed setting with 
students without disabilities. So you have seen that as an effective way to hold school teams accountable for taking data in general education settings? Yes, I have. And there's another place, too, that I think is really useful, which is the present level of educational performance. Uh, recording there, things like the student does best with peer models or strong language models or strong behavioral models, those kind of things. Because if it's documented there, again, you're starting to make a case to say, wait, if the student does best with strong you know, behavioral peers, then we should make sure that the student is placed with strong behavioral peers. Have you heard of families who advocate for their children's uh, curriculum not to be modified as a strategy to keep students in general education and not in a separate uh, self-contained special education classroom? Yeah, that's a really tricky thing. So let's back up and remember what special ed is for. Special education is designed provide adaptations and support so students can have access to general ed. So some families have been told, usually, that if they put modified curriculum, their child will be somewhere else, right, to get that modified curriculum. And so sometimes th that word is very tricky because people don't want to put that on an IEP because they worry that it will happen somewhere else. And there are some states, I just worked in South Carolina, where this was an actual issue. Um, however, if that's the issue, meaning if it's likely that the student's placement will change based on that word, modification, then I suggest writing adaptation in instead um, because that usually doesn't mean the same sort of change in uh, the curriculum itself. There's not a, a significant change to the curriculum itself. Um, so yes, I've seen people do that, and what it kind of breaks my heart because I don't want people to not get the supports they need in general ed. You should be able to legally receive the differentiated supports that are needed, whether it's modifications, accommodations, um, you know, any one of those things. So, or adaptations, and so we want to make sure that families have access to that stuff. Right, because the the need for modifications, adaptations, or accommodations, according to law, they uh, they don't drive placement. So, I believe IEP goals and objectives drive placement. That's right, and so many states are actually using the word modifications to say, if modifications are on an IEP, um, we're going to change placement for that child. And so, I think so. South Carolina, that's the state that, for example someone really needs to challenge that legally um, because the practice is if we, if a child requires a modification, then that can happen in a different setting. And so they're really linking that. So if you're a South Carolina um, lawyer, I'm really interested in looking at this piece because um, it, in practice, it's clearly being linked. And I know that that goes against sort of the spirit of IDEA. Julie, do you have any other strategies for parents who are advocating for their children to be included in general education? Yeah, my sixth and last strategy that I have is really celebrate successes with the team. And so don't forget that being an educator, and, and Tim, you could speak to this, can um, feel like you're under scrutiny and you know, public and private scrutiny, and it can be an exhausting job, and educators are doing their very best 
you know, 99.9% of the time. And so don't forget to celebrate with your team every time something really goes well. Uh, just go ahead and jot a note down and say, hey, thank you for that. Gosh, I appreciate this communication notebook, or I, I notice and appreciate this, or boy, I love that that modified science work, or whatever, because as parents, we're also exhausted, and we forget to say those positive things, and instead, too often, are just talking about what's not working, what's not happening for my child, et cetera. So celebrate those successes would be my last big idea for families. Those are fantastic suggestions. Thank you, Julie. What do you think is the most significant barrier to inclusion for students with disabilities? I think there are many, but I would say um, a huge barrier is just to think about how hard change is in school and the fear of change. So literally what I'm talking about is a pretty big paradigm shift, moving away from this idea that, you know, kids with disabilities are so different and need a, a separate place to humans are humans and all students need support in all kinds of ways. Um, and so that paradigm shift is a change. And if you even think back to like when we went to school, schools don't look that different. Schools are averse to change. Compare like compare technology to education, right? Educa or technology changes at lightning speed and yet you still walk into a classroom and it looks very familiar to most of us from 40 years ago where there's a teacher at the front, everybody's at desk, right? Like it's, it's not different. And so I think our biggest barrier to inclusion is how schooling struggles to change for a variety of reasons. Um, the other thing I think is fear of difference and the, and kind of like the medicalization of disability. So, We've been told, we've been taught, we've believed that children with disabilities deserve to do better when, you know, need to be in separate spaces. And that's a convenient thing to think because those students then are somebody else's problem, right? Someone else's challenge. And so that fear um, of difference and the medicalization of disability uh, is used as kind of an excuse to keep students separate. Um, and I always, and I probably said this to you last time we talked to him, I always talk about Brown versus Board of Education because when anyone asks me, well, why isn't it different? I say, well, I don't know. Why in 1954 were we saying it's okay to keep black and white kids separate? You know, it's the exact same thinking. And unfortunately, it reveals a pretty unattractive truth about the way we think about people with disabilities. Well, this has been a fascinating and enlightening conversation with you, Julie. Um, where can people um, go to find out more about you and inclusive schooling? Yeah, so you can go to my website. It's um, www.inclusiveschooling.com. And there you can find many things. You can find articles that you can just print and use and share. People love to get articles just for gifts, if you didn't know this. And then you can also find all my books that are there. Uh, so the Educator's Handbook would be really important for your listeners that are educators. Um, the Paraprofessional Handbook is excellent for your paraprofessionals, et cetera. And there's a co-teaching book that I think you're going to love called 30 Days for the Co-Taught Classroom. Those would be the highlights there. Um, other than that, I want you to know that there's a bunch of online courses that people are taking 
and sometimes districts are having their entire school use the online courses, and that has been really incredible. And the last thing is if you want me to come to your school or district, you could just contact me on the website and we can talk. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, thank you so much for uh, sharing your time and your knowledge with us on the Think Inclusive podcast. Yeah, no problem, Tim. Talk to you soon. If you would like to hear the entire unedited recording of my interview with Dr. Julie Costin, consider becoming a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com slash thinkinclusivepodcast. Follow the Think Inclusive podcast on the web at thinkinclusive.us. Tell us what you thought of the podcast via Twitter at inclusive underscore pod on Facebook or Instagram. You can also subscribe to the Think Inclusive podcast via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or on the Anchor app. We love to know that you are listening. Also, a reminder that you can support the Think Inclusive podcast via Patreon or Anchor.fm with a monthly contribution so that we can continue to bring in-depth interviews with thought leaders in inclusive education and community advocacy. On that note, thank you to Patreon's Donna L., Kathleen T., and Veronica E. for their continued support of the podcast. Also, a special shout-out to my producer and love of my life, Brianna. Happy birthday, darling. You are truly magical. Thanks to my boys. You know who you are for your feedback and suggestions. It's always greatly appreciated. Next time on the Think Inclusive podcast. I don't, I don't want autistic people to be siloed from the rest of the world. I don't want them to be isolated. Uh, but to me, that means the way forward is not creating increasingly insular communities and sidelining people on the spectrum or any intersection of identity, but instead all of us working together to create a society where... Uh, we're better at understanding and dealing with the all the different ways people happen and people are thanks for your time and attention see you next time this has been a production of think inclusive llc Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.